Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the CCW Safe broadcast. I am Rob High in Oklahoma City. Again, joined by my co-host, Phil Naiman. Phil is back home. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a home. A home in, in another of his homes. <laughs> it's an off-grid secret location. I see that. And then uh, we have a very special guest today, uh, joined by Todd Fossey. Todd's from Minnesota. He runs Integrated Defense Systems up there. He's uh, the founder and lead instructor up there. Todd, good morning, brother. Good to have you. Rob, good to talk to you. It's an honor to be here. Good. Outstanding. Phil, what do you got? What do you have been going on? You guys getting ready for the holidays? Yeah, uh, obviously we, we're having it at our house too. Not uh, quite the mob uh, at the high home um, <laughs> in Oklahoma, from what I just heard. But uh, we'll have it here. And you know, I was able to go do a, a shooting match last weekend, and I'm going again this weekend. So life's great. Outstanding. How'd you do? One day I did great. The other day I did really. About the worst you probably could um halfway through the course i realized that my scope mount had wiggled loose and so if i had any chance of hitting a target i had to try and hold it down while i was shooting off of oh, obstacles sure. so you know just just uh just another day in the life of me <laughs> but the best part was i had a great everybody saw it I had a great built-in excuse for my performance so that was that was fine <laughs> well uh i can I can only tell you from personal experience that those seem to be the days that you learn the very most. So, yeah, well, they're very moment. long. So those, uh, those days end up being very long. So we have the opportunity to learn the most. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Todd, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great. You know, life is good. I'm a very, very blessed man. Um, everybody watching, happy Thanksgiving Eve. Hope everyone has a wonderful day tomorrow. Um, training's going great. Life is great. Um, honestly, I have I have nothing to complain about, Rob. Thanks for asking. Awesome, buddy. Um, I'm curious, how did you how did you make your entrance into this world? Um, I know most most guys on this end of it are either military or or law enforcement background yeah kind of give us your history and how you how you can yeah i have a i have a kind of a unique background with how i got into this um i was a bouncer for a long time um and i i, I lived in la for 10 years and i was a uh, ended up uh in, in the entertainment industry as a writer producer director there and uh, some of my early training in combatives came from bouncing on the Sunset Strip, right? We were going hands-on three to five times a night. So there's a lot of experience there. But as I got into the film industry, I started to make friends with people who were technical advisors on films. And I was a firearms enthusiast. This is back in the mid-90s. And they said to me, uh, hey, don't, don't go to the range. I'm like, well, I'm in LA. Where, where else am I going to go? And they said, you know, come with us. And so there was kind of a, I would say it's kind of a secret location that they would go. And I would go there and I would train with them. And I wouldn't call them my instructors, but I would imitate what they did. And they would give me little tips along the way. So that kind of opened my mind up a lot to um, other approaches. Along the same lines, uh, actually, probably in a more important way, parallel to that, 
I actually have a background in psychology and human performance, human dynamics, technically psychophysiology. And I had a private practice in, in this particular discipline uh, professionally for 15 years. And as an amateur, actually going back to the age of, of uh, about 10 years old, I started really getting into studying uh, uh, human performance and the science of skill acquisition. And I've had the honor and the privilege of coaching some of the top performers in the world, top athletes in the world, top performers in different ways in the world. And as I had my, and I lectured at medical schools, by the way, for about 15 years on a really nerdy topic called psychoneuroimmunology. That's a little bit different conversation, but um, the terror attack happened at the Westgate Mall um, in Kenya. And that day changed my life when I saw that happen. I, I had been studying Krav Maga and MMA at the time. And I had been in the early stages of integrating that with the firearm. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to have some really white knuckled prayer here and ask my wife's blessing. And I, I decided I was going to take this on as a full-time endeavor. And that was about 13 years ago now. And Integrative Defense Strategies was born. And, uh, and now here we are. Outstanding. Um, now, I, I met you here in the city um, as you were a presenter at the Guardian Nation Conference. <clears throat> Do you have a schedule that you, that you set that you go nationwide or is most of your stuff from your home base and people come to you? It's, it's mostly people coming to me. Integrative Defense Strategies has a program called the Apex Program where we certify instructors in our unique style of training from actually all around the world now. I'm honored, honored to say that we have our first affiliates in Europe now in Germany, but 40 across North America. And now we have a couple in Germany as well. And it's starting to spread throughout Europe. How um, long is that? that? How long? Um, so a lot of it is, I, I always wanted that. I always wanted to have a model where people came to me to my training facility. And I would say 75% of the training that I do is that. And then also we have a, our model is more of a martial arts model where we have memberships that we sell and people locally come all throughout the week to take classes with us on an ongoing and continual basis, which is really important. I hope we can get to that um, during this conversation. But then I'll, I'll, I'll go out. People will, will ask me, they'll host me. They'll ask me to come out to do different types of courses and seminars um, uh, throughout, throughout the year. So it's really a combination of both. And the ratio is about 75, 25. Very nice. Yeah. And, and what's your website with your schedule on it and your calendar of events? Um, the website for the instructor courses is we have two different websites. It's called um, I, uh, this is IDS.com is where the instructor schedules at. And then we have an online program where people can train with us virtually. We have a streaming service uh, with about 16 different courses. That's so very unique. Um, and we think highly effective. And that's called IDSCitizenDefender.com, where people can become members there of our streaming service. And they can train from home. They can train with anywhere or with, uh, with training partners. It's, that's the whole idea is to remove the barriers of entry to training so we can encourage people to have more of an ongoing approach toward an ongoing and integrated approach toward their training. That's, that's our goal. That's our objective. Our, one of our mottos is no more soft targets, right? 
We don't, we want to have good people out there that are trained and prepared and ready to respond with a level of skill and measure. And then our other motto is don't be a gunfighter, be a fighter with a gun. And that's a very, that's a pretty extreme paradigm shift for a lot of people, but there are very real reasons why we've taken on those mottos. You know, there, there's so many folks out there that have that false illusion that the presentation of a firearm is going to be enough to, to, to solve their, their bad situation. Yes. Um, and this was, this was really eye-opening the way it was presented to Phil and I. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. But I couldn't, I couldn't count the numbers of times that I witnessed this as a police officer where we were kicking a door in serving a search warrant, going after a bad guy, you know, you've got a, a, an absolute known real deal, bad guy. And you come in and you're armored up and you're, you're fully loaded and, and really ready to address pretty much any kind of threat that's thrown your way. And so it's an, it's a very aggressive, hard entry and to go through room to room and all of a sudden you've got two or three kids in a room that are playing video games that aren't even phased by it. It And Paul Sharp was the one that, that kind of articulated this and he was talking about, you know, these kids, the only thing that they were concerned with is, is you're blocking my view of, of the screen. I can't yeah. see my game. Yeah. Um, they were that immune to that kind of stuff and those very same kids that's the environment they grow up in and that's what a portion of them grow up to be and you point a gun at that that kid and he'll he'll like you know kind of suck through his teeth and you know you ain't nothing you can't shoot me and that's a harsh reality to somebody that doesn't understand that that doesn't scare people no, and, and that, I, if you're not prepared to use it, may get used against you. So, yeah, yeah, and just to add to that, you know, as police officers, you at least have a reasonable expectation of compliance, right? And we're seeing more and more cases all the time where people are being non-compliant, even with law enforcement. Yeah. So, to, for a concealed carry holder, right, the the expectation of compliance is probably in front, with my observation anyway my anecdotal observation is that that expectation is even lower for concealed yeah. carriers yeah for sure yeah. it's it's an important thing uh what you just said i mean rob and i talk about it all the time be a fighter with a gun not a gunfighter and if if something can be solved without the presentation of the firearm uh, you are way better off you know rob rob will get more sleep um he won't be out flying around fixing things all over the place. So it's, <laughs> well, you know, to take that a step farther, um, which is really one of the big motivations for what we do here at IDS, I'll, uh, you know, the, the, the primary design of our approach, the rep we call it in, in the world of, of uh, motor learning and skill acquisition is called representative design, training design. We build our design based on available crime statistics and raw data. And the crime statistics and data actually shows that if we remove the, it's the incidence of gang warfare, 
that the overwhelming majority of aggravated assaults are going to be an ambush style assault that are happening with an edged weapon or some type of blunt force weapon. So we have to remember that also there probably isn't going to be the time for us to present our weapon. We're probably going to have to fight our way to it, assuming that we're justified to do so. And to add to that, and I would say this is even more important, is that 80% of assaults are going to be simple assaults where people are reasonably in immediate fear of just simply bodily harm, not aggravated bodily harm or substantial bodily harm, right? Or a, a reasonable fear of death even. So that's, that's really the prime, I could go on and on for days, right? But that's, those are the primary motives for why we have that motto, be a fighter with a gun, is because you're probably going to have to understand how to work and have the sensitivity to work at contact distance so that you know how to conceal your weapon. You know how to conceal the intent that you have with it. So you're not telegraphing that intent, right? You know how to retain that weapon. You know how to access it right? You know how to have a good base and a good foundation. You understand the principles of the fight. Yeah. And we do that all within our rules of engagement as citizen defenders. Yeah, that's a that's, great, the, that's the objective. That's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, again, there's several things that, that are common themes on the show with Phil and I, and, and one of those comes from one of our founders from CCW Safe, Stan Campbell, uh, always always tries to get it in people's head to, to respond to this situation in the same way you would without a firearm. What would you do? Absolutely. If you what would you do if you weren't armed? Absolutely. And, and that is do your very best at de-escalating and removing yourself from that situation. That's the right call. <laughs> Well, and Stan, Stan even developed uh, programs for de-escalation. I mean, that was a huge, huge emphasis for him about, you know, and and you, Todd, were talking about you worked as a bouncer and, you know, you probably realized early on that you could make any situation pop up, handle the way you wanted it to. If you wanted to put go hands-on, you were going to go hands-on because that's the way you push those buttons. And if you want to de-escalate it because, you know, you had a date later and you didn't want to have a black eye, then you went the other way. So there was, there's a lot of control you have of the way you approach a situation um, yourself so as to that outcome. no question. You know, my background is in behavioral sciences and the psychology of violence and the psychology of violent criminals is a big part of what we teach. It's a multi, truly a multidisciplinary approach where all of these disciplines are interdependent upon one another. We're not, we don't put things in silos, isolated and disconnected and compartmentalized from one another. They are, they depend on one another all the time. So the firearm, the combatives, the decision-making, the psychology, the use of force, the tactics, the legalities, the science of skill acquisition all have to be baked into the cake together. And just to add to what you're, what you're saying there, what I think is an important point based on my, my experience and my background on the psychology of violence is that de-escalation and conflict avoidance is an extremely valuable skill set to have that needs to be practiced. However, when we're dealing with a psychopath or a sociopath or a malignant narcissist who's already made up their mind that they're going to use violence right. to get what they want, 
then I would, for me personally, I change the term from de-escalation to deterrence because that psychology only understands two things. They understand, they understand strength and they understand weakness and they don't understand anything else. And there well, are times they understand, right. They understand <laughs> that, right. They understand um, strength and, and, and weakness. And so there are times when de-escalation can actually attract aggression because they're perceiving that based on their distorted point of view as you being submissive or weakness to them. So there's a time to have a really strong command presence where you're taking charge of that situation and you're deterring that. And you could, you could define that as de-escalation too, right? Um, we just use the term deterrence at that phase. Of, yeah, de- of de-escalation is not, is not capitulation. Right. And you I know, think a it, lot of people think that it is. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, well, I'm sure well, I shouldn't assume for you, but I would think that in your de-escalation moves, you're doing simple things like, again, you have a calm voice, not a, uh, not a, not a fearful voice, but you're also doing things like putting an angle in or, or stepping to the side and just getting yes. out of getting out of the next moves way before it happens you know, um, like the interview position that, that Rob talks about a lot is like, Hey man, yep. you know, chin yep. down. Yep. We teach the same the side. thing. Yeah. It's a, yeah. We call that the fence position. And on the legal side of things for you guys, what am I showing? I'm showing that I'm an unwilling participant, right? Yeah. Both. And I'm, it's also a great offensive and defense position. And then witnesses can also say non-verbally his body language was saying that he wasn't, he was a non unwilling participant in that, in that interaction. So, you know, the fewest number of solutions to as many problems as possible is the goal, right? And that's, this solves an awful lot. And, and mine, mine goes step by step by step. It, and it becomes as soon as you're in that, that bubble, it's, it's here. It's just, that's right. It's simple. It's non-threatening. But when you become more aggressive, that's when that comes into play. And everything else comes in and, and everything gets into a preparation phase. Absolutely. But exactly like you posted or you, you talked about here just a, a minute ago, um, we had a recent case, just amazing, kind, wonderful gentleman. And uh, Gary and I had to run on this one. Um, and it, it became a shooting incident. Uh, but this guy has an aggressor and he, and he immediately starts trying to, to bring that down. And this guy was an aggressor. He was just a belligerent and and an older man. It wasn't like you're running into a 23 year old kid. That's, that's, you know, feeling all cocky today. This guy was, was an older gentleman, not even gentleman. This guy was an older punk. That uh, that really just is intent on intimidating and escalating, and and our guy the whole time is is trying to to get away from this, and it's just like you said. I think the perception on the other end was weakness, right. um, but all of a sudden our member gets uh, distracted by a female that's with the assailant. Uh, and when he turns his attention now, the assailant, it's hit. just like you said, you're, you're talking about that ambushed, ambush yep. assault. Yep. 
he turns his head all of a sudden bang he gets cold cocked and never sees it coming and it's such a blow he thought he'd been shot um you get things like that that uh if you've not done the preparation right. to understand an ambush assault That's you're, right. you are behind the eight ball big time and your reaction time and ability to recover from that and get in the fight is absolutely critical it's not anything that you you can sit there and and go yeah, and can't, intele can't intellectualize it no and right. that's a that's a big problem in our industry i believe is that we have a tendency the industry wants to intellectualize these things and people get a false sense of confidence because they've heard about it they've learned about it but they haven't trained it they haven't had real human interaction on a repetitive basis in these different types of situations right and that's the whole point point. And in the motor learning world this is called um ecological dynamics we're learning through ecological dynamics with real human beings in real time that are working in a way and training in a way that is representative of how violence actually happens in reality. What the, the aggressor is displaying during these randomized scenario exercises are the different types of pre-violence and pre-attack indicators or not that allows the student to be able to make those types of accurate observations. And then even more importantly, how they're going to respond to it. They're making split second decisions on an ongoing basis. And that requires time and practice, right? And then, then on the legal side of things after that, what does that help them do? That helps them to articulate why they made the decisions that they made in their legal statement during the after action aftermath and while they're interacting with you guys, right? Or, uh, or hopefully that they're not doing it any sooner than that, right? And that's, you know, that's another, that's another big deal is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to divert just a little bit. You know, it's, it's one of the things that we have available for our members is the ability to, to help form your statement. Um, because you may be looking at the things that make this a self-defense incident and uh, justifiable in, in the use of force itself. We're also looking down the road towards the civil action as well. And something that's perfectly okay to tell a criminal investigator here is going to be twisted and used against you in a different realm in the civil court. And so even if it's nothing more than just softening a verbiage and, and going... I'm not telling you how to, how to set, how to, I'm not telling you what your story is. I'm not asking right. you to change your story, but if we use this word instead of this word, yeah. it may yeah. be a little bit more advantageous to us tending off something down the road. And it's going to be reviewed. It's going to be yeah. reviewed in a different light and a different timeline. Yes. One of the, one of the things that uh, Todd said about, you know, we, the steps, right. Uh, training there's do this do this right clear the garment whatever <laughs> excuse me how many times you heard the the phrase stop drop and roll a couple thousand right you ever seen anybody catches on fire what do they do they run like they know That's stop right. drop roll what do they do they're they they're doing the richard Pryor imitation you know and um because emotions happen and and all logic goes out the window so it's important that you're you have your motorized stuff like you're talking about there todd yeah, we're either trained or we're untrained. You know, when we really uh, truly understand how competence is developed, 
you know what what you know there's there's really very little in between it's either burned into your cerebellum right as an unconsciously competent response or it's or it's not Yes. And under stress, you know, that's what we're going to default to. This is where the slips and capture, he's talking about the slips and capture error, right? This is where the slips and capture errors happen. Uh, by the way, I'm all, actually, I'm also a FSI certified for science analyst, right? On top of it. So I, I have an understanding of how these things work. And so uh, that's I'm just getting whole, smarter the longer I speak with you. So I'm just that's not, that, I don't know about that. I'm just trying to make myself look good, right? But But the point is, the point is that we really want to tr do do what is actually what we can actually do to instill real competence, not the cognitive illusion of competence. You guys are probably familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Yeah. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a psychological phenomenon where low knowledge and low ability people suffer from what's called an illusory superiority. In other words, they believe that they're superior, their skills are superior to what it actually is. And then the other part of it is they suffer um, from what's called a metacognitive inability to recognize their ineptitude. So they can't see how bad they are at what they do. And they believe they can do far more than what they can do. They have a, a false sense of confidence. And there this are is fantastic the thing that, YouTube channels with those starring those guys all the time. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. On the other hand, there are fantastic YouTube channels that actually fan the flames of the Dunning-Kruger effect. And a lot of the training that's happening out there does the same thing because there's a payoff, right? There's a dopamine hit that people get when they have this illusion of success that they're having during a class that doesn't give my, my belief is from my experience, I want to give my students a real healthy dose of reality but I also don't want to destroy their confidence. So I want to give them a healthy dose of confidence and a healthy dose of reality at the same time so that they can learn to understand and at least know what they don't know before they can move through all those stages of competence, right? Otherwise, we're just fattening. I call it fattening people up for the kill, right? I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want people to have a very real understanding of, of how violence actually occurs and what their actual abilities are. I think if you, which, what I'm hearing you say is if you give them the reality up front, the com confidence will come later, but they've got to realize where the starting point is. Well, and to, to add to that, you know, on the motor learning side of things is I want them to solve the problem. I don't want to give them the problem and the answer and then have them solve that problem, that, that one problem and that one answer over and over and over again. Right. The variables in violence, you guys know better than I do, are unpredictable and unrepeatable. So if all we're doing is giving people repeatable variables and we're giving them the answer to repeat over and over and over again, well, what do they think? They're going to believe what? I'm good to go. Where in reality, these variables don't repeat themselves and they're very fluid and they're very dynamic and the speed at which things happen and what our responses are going to be under stress and compressed time. You know, and the level of force and violence, people, most people really aren't, they aren't prepared for that at all. They, they, they really aren't. And, and usually when they believe that they are, because I've seen this literally thousands of times, those are the people who are the least prepared. You, you trained MMA back in the 90s. So you probably I, had. I, I, I still do. Very awesome. You probably had people who came in from other very structured uh, martial arts you know, and, and karate or, you know, they have these katas, they have these systems that they go, yeah. but the MMA side is chaos. 
And we've seen this time and time again, if some, it doesn't mix well, you know, there's a, there's tournament style fighting and then there's in the alley and, right. and, uh, you know, you see a, a rude awakening oftentimes. Yeah. Well, that, that's because people are accustomed to dealing with preset variables, right? Predict right. there's, they're, they're in a predictable environment, the learning and performance environments. There's three different types. There's the predictable learning environment. There's a semi-predictable learning environment, and there's the unpredictable learning and performance environment. And then just to add to what you're saying, MMA is extremely close, but in the ecological form of learning, when we put a firearm on, that's a variable that changes the entire ecology, right? We, we have another saying at IDS that says that context dictates strategy. So it's not straight up MMA. We call it mo mo modified modern MMA, right? That has been adapted to self-defense specifically for the armed citizen defender. So those variables, that those decision-making is going to, is going to, the decision-making around having that weapon on you and the decision-making of self-defense and the rules of engagement are going to be very different. That person took a swing at me and I choked him unconscious. Well, I just used excessive force, right? That person took a swing at me and I took him to the ground and I broke his arm, right? Now I went from bodily harm to substantial bodily harm. And I could, I could see how that could be, could be interpreted anyway as possibly using excessive force. Or if I don't have any training at all and I panic in a, in a self-defense situation where someone is throwing punches at me and then I don't know what else to do. So I go to my weapon. I have it taken away from me or I go to lethal force because I haven't learned how to operate with all of my options within that full use of force continuum. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly the point. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's so many of these guys and, and you just identified who they are that think that adrenaline is going to be the magic drug that makes them invincible or they're going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You don't know me, bro. I see red. Right. Yeah. Oh my. And then, and their gun is the magic talent, right? Yeah. So they have the, the, the magic drug and they have the magic talent at the same time. And that's a recipe for catastrophe. I, I still get asked a lot why I don't, make my primary carry style appendix. It's very, it's, it's really comfortable as far as just standing in the office or anything like that, but so is a three o'clock position for me. But the thousands and thousands and thousands of reps that I have doing retention drills on my three o'clock far outweigh anything I've done in appendix and the other side of that is I find when I go to the ground, appendix really hinders me. I need my hips. I need to be mobile. I'm a grappler. It's what I do. I know how to, how to move on the ground. And it yeah. really limits me. Um, I've not found, unless I'm carrying a subcompact, I've not really found the firearm that makes that a comfortable option for me. Um, I'm just... I, I don't, I don't try to discourage anybody from carrying there. Yeah. Understand you can, you can get to your weapon really fast. You got a really great, you know, speedy presentation and first round on target and all of that stuff. But, but, it, but it's not that much faster. 
No, it's not. It's not, not that much faster. So yeah. well, I think exactly with you, what you just said there, Rob, is you've got thousands and tens of thousands of repetitions from your, why would you change, right? Unless you're just trying to make a flashy YouTube video showing off your abs as you pull up your shirt all the time. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> it'll increase well, our viewership, uh, to add, to Rob, to if you do start doing that. Yeah. To add to that, you know, IDS, um, Rob will be familiar with what I'm talking about. And I just want to add to what he's saying based on what our observations that have been here. You know, IDS, my school is a lab. And all the students that come here know that they're lab rats. And so we're constantly working literally as a laboratory. It's a laboratory environment where we're challenging our own thesis. We're challenging our own ideas. We want to get to the truth, not just what we are selling. You know what I'm saying? Our priority is the preservation of life. And so what we found is that the appendix position conceals really well, right? And uh, tends to be more comfortable and very convenient position. However, when we really get into the nitty gritty of how combatives happen, creating dominant angles is an important part of it. And it's very difficult to create a dominant angle that, that is optimal for retention when our weapon is directly in front. When we have a weapon at the three o'clock position, we can blade and we can create a, a, an angle that's optimal for it. We can also use the ground for retention. We can use the wall or a barrier for retention. And when we're, when we're talking, and I could go on for hours, right? But you get the idea at the, when we're talking about the appendix position, that's whenever I'm rolling with somebody and they're carrying appendix, I know I'm going to get their gun because I know they can't create an angle. No matter where, what position I go to, there's an opportunity for me to get my hands on that weapon. And so something that I want to point out, and I want people to know that I believe strongly in my heart of hearts that personal protection is exactly that. It's personal. You get to choose. You get to decide what is best for you. However, as uh, a seasoned professional with a lot, of, a lot of experience and observation with this in, in lots of different ways and carry positions, I just want to share that so people can take that into consideration. And that past three o'clock is even worse. Right now, the retaining from behind, being able to access it, having it squirt out on the ground or against the wall or a barrier becomes, and it's a very slow presentation at the same time. So these, these carry positions are things that take time for you to get pressure testing under so that you can make informed and educated decisions. Well, you know, and the other thing, I mean, if a guy comes in and he throws an underhook and I go really hard heavy with, with an overhook and I crank it down. And, there. and I pull that arm down and I've, and I'm in the five o'clock position. I've just dropped his hand down to my gun. Exactly. Um, it, it's, it's the things that, that people haven't thought through and they, and it's an experience thing. Um, you know, we talk about the, the numbers of reps it comes, um, for something to become autonomic. It's just, it's, it's not a, a conscious thought. It's just, you do this, I do this. It's the way my body reacts and reflects. It just does it like this because it's done it so many times. That's right. And in, in the martial arts realm or the wrestling realm, um, combat sports, the, the number that I'd always heard from when I was even little was 10,000 reps, 100 times a day for 100 days, and then it's yours hundred times properly. Here's, wow. here, here's, um, here's a metric for people to think about along those lines in the development of competence. Um, 
in terms of the, the creation of unconscious competence or the autonomic level that you're talking about. And at the neurological level, it's called myelination. People can look that up if you're curious. If you want me to elaborate on that, I'm happy to do it. But in order for myelination and unconscious competence to occur, um, there's a couple of things I'd like to address with it. But the first one is a minimum of 20 minutes a day of practice for 12 consecutive weeks for per skill. Yes. Per, per skill. And then to add to that, to what, again, to what Rob was saying, at IDS, here's what we believe, because we know how the variables of violence work. It's non-repeatable, right? It's never the same twice. It can't be. So what we aim to do is take an ecological approach. And I know I'm using a lot of big words because there aren't, there aren't, there aren't other terms that I can use, but I'll, I'll give you an, an, an example of that. Our goal is to have repetition without repetition. In other words, we're utilizing a principle without repeating the exact same thing every time because the variables are not going to be exact. So what we want to develop is what we call feel and flow. You have to have the level of reflex. You have to understand the feel and flow of any fight. It doesn't matter what, how small or microscopic that level is, all the way out to the macro level of, a lar of large scale warfare. The feel and flow and the principles of any fight are exactly the same. So, and I'll tell you what those principles are, right? The four principles of winning any fight are going to be distance management, timing, transitions, and dominant angles. And then we have all the nuances in between. How are we ever going to learn to develop those principles or understand the interactions of those nuances when we're standing across from a silhouette target over and over and over again? So our belief is we want 95% of our training to be with an inert weapon, like a cert pistol, about two and a half percent of our training to be with NLTAs like simunitions or or other forms of NLTA, non-lethal training ammunitions, right? Like UTM. And then two and a half percent is live fire because live fire is so limiting. And that way we can validate our weapons flow and our feel with the live weapon while we're still getting this full breadth and depth of integration as the majority of our time and training. That's the goal that, again, to repeat myself, that's the goal and that's the objective. You're either trained or you're untrained and there's very little in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a uh, live fire range out, out at your farm? Not on my farm. I have one five minutes away Okay. that I'm a member at. And then there's a place here in Minneapolis it's called the Scale Regional Training Facility, which is a law enforcement and military training facility that I have a contract at. And so we do, they have a 60,000 foot square or a 60,000 foot shoot house and a five-story burn tower and high-tech ranges and, and some mat rooms. So we do a lot of our, a lot of our training either here on my, at my location or over at that uh, scale regional training facility. And then a lot of my personal live fire practice happens at the member range where I'm a, where I'm a member at just five minutes from where I'm standing. Nice, very nice. Um, when you do, I, cause this, this is really interesting to me and I, I wanna know a little bit more about it. Your online courses, kind of explain to me how those work. Yeah. Well, there's an entire reviewing them right now. <laughs> there's an entire progression that we call the IDS roadmap, and people can consume these. There's 16 different courses, or seven, 16 or 17 different courses there. They consume in any way that they want to. 
There's a special interactive technology called LearnDash, which is nonlinear. So people can consume it in different ways. They can interact with it. They can leave comments and questions. It keeps track of their progress. It gives them reward for their progress. But what it's really designed to do is for people to train anywhere. If they have a dojo or a gym or a range that they want to train at, they can watch these videos and these drills and this learning progression, really. And they can do it in their garage. They can do it from home, you know, their backyard, wherever they want to. The majority of it happens with the CERT training pistol. And so that way they can have safe interactions and they can work all these details out that I'm talking about on an ongoing basis. That's the whole goal. So we have, it's curated in a way where we have, you know, basic fundamentals, handling, think safety, things like that nature. And then we have what we call pistol craft, where people can work drills. If they don't have a partner, they can work drills in three dimensions, 360 degrees in a way that's as interactive as possible with audio recordings that, ver that create variables and variation to what they're gonna be doing with call target exercises. And, and that's the moving targets. We have all kinds of stuff there. That's what we call the pistol craft section. And then we have what we call the weapons-based combative section where we're teaching people weapon retention, clinch fighting, grappling, wall work. We have, a, again, uh, edged weapon defenses, impact weapon defenses, things of that nature so that we can really get a, a true a true understanding of how all these different dimensions work detect deter defend understanding the five stages of violent crime with partners so that you can do role plays and understand how these things actually work with integrated combatives along with your pistol craft so again a truly an ecological approach that's done in a, in, in a streaming service a membership service that people can do online i've never seen anything else like out there like it we're very proud of it and we're always looking for ways that we can improve it every every single day that's really cool i'm, I'm interested in looking into that it's idscitizendefender.com is the website um how about uh, well, if you forget that, if you if you forget that and you go to this is IDS.com because it's got less letters for people like me, you can get to that site also. It yes, thanks. You over there. Thank you. Thanks for pointing that out. So the I, this is IDS website is for people who are interested in becoming instructors. And then the IDS citizen defender.com is for the end user who's looking to do more autonomous training at home. Very nice. And I just signed up. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. And doing uh, your instructor level courses, how many of those do you do annually? Um, what's your class size? Kind of, kind of give us a rundown on on how you set that up. I do between twelve and fifteen annually. Okay, so about one a month, about one and a quarter a month. Um, we have eight different levels of certification. <laughs> um, and uh, they, each certification course lasts for three and a half days. And they're 10 hour training days. So they're getting 35 hours of training per course. And they work their way all the way up from level one all the way to level eight. It's a very in depth course. Most of the people that we attract to that course are people who are really either they're firearms people that are looking to supplement their firearms training with the integrated combatives, or the people who have a, a background in MMA or Krav Maga or other martial arts that want to integrate the firearm and put take all these things and put them together. To us at IDS, these these disciplines are indivisible. To me, the combatives is firearms training, and the firearms training is combatives training. They 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 go they go hand in hand. 
Well, it, it, it's the numbers, you know, we got so many people out there that have watered stuff down. So, so incredibly overwhelmingly uh, yeah. that, that so many people don't understand that martial arts are military arts. They're fighting arts. That's right. That's all it is. Um, and all of those are the same. That's, that's why I, I really am envious of the name for, for your, for your stuff, integrated defense systems. Yeah. Integrative. Yep. So it's not layered, right. Yeah. To me, to, to put it, to take a layered approach, I'll just say it as it is an error instead of layer creating a layered cake, blend all the elements together. So they are interdependent upon, upon one another. I wouldn't brag about taking a layered approach because now you're admitting that your approach is fractured, right? The part is not the whole. We, we, we don't, we want to be careful that there's a correlation. So it's easy for instructors to claim that the part is the whole because there's a correlation, but there's not. There's no correlation if you're if they're training these things separately. It just doesn't doesn't work that way. Well, and I I, I like some of your other approaches too. Um, I was I was a high school wrestling coach for a long time and blessed enough to be in really talent rich programs. Um, I've been out for two years now, but uh, our last group of kids that I was involved with there, there's eight of them wrestling at the college level right now. Um, but we always referred to our practice room as the lab. Absolutely. Because we don't just do step A, step B, step C, step D. Um, we, we give you unique, horrible starting positions you know, you're, you're the defensive wrestler right here, but we're still in a neutral position, but he's in on a single leg and he gets it however he wants. Right. And we got 30 seconds for somebody to score, ready, go. Yeah. And the yeah. great thing about the lab is in, in challenging your own thesis is that that way you're always evolving, right? If we look back at what trained the firearms training world, let's just use that for example. And we look back 20 years ago, we say, well, that's some outdated old school shit, right? Well, guess what? What we're doing right now is also outdated and old school. And some of it is actually 50 or 60 years old that we're still doing today. Our goal is to say, never be satisfied with where we're at. How can we grow? How can we evolve? What's new information that we have? As instructors, the analogy I like to use is my, my wife works in surgery every single day. She trains surgical teams. And if there's a surgeon or a surgical team that is out of date with their methodology from 18 to 24 months, they get sued for malpractice. Well, we're doing the same shit. Sorry. We are doing the same stuff that we were doing 40 or 50 years ago. Yeah. And the stakes are just as high for us. And my wife would say, your job is harder than ours because we control the variables. Yes. And yeah. you don't. But the stakes are just as high, right? Life and death are the stakes. So this is why we're so passionate about making sure that we are on the absolute cutting edge of our knowledge and our ability. And we're seeking out that, you know, I seek out who are the top motors, motor learning experts in the world. How can I interview them? What are the books that I can read? What are the conferences that I can attend? That gives me the latest information so that we can really stay on top of it. Well, and that's another aspect of it. Um, it it's one thing to, to put yourself through the physical grind and, and learning and doing these things, but also the mental aspect 
and uh, it, was, it was something, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, Phil and I have discussed this uh, at length. The, the psychology in your preparation and, That's right. uh, you know, the guys that, that compete at the very highest, highest levels. You know, the last time I competed internationally, I was, uh, it, and this didn't account for anything as far as my, my cardio or my strength training, um, but my on the mat practice was about 20 hours a week. That's a lot of time on the mat. That's a lot of wear and tear on your body. You can't really press a whole lot more onto your, onto your physical body without causing overtraining and, and damage and starting to break down and, and right. actually becoming worse. That's but right. I can, but I can do the mental reps and I can, I can learn how to do mental preparation. And it's something I taught. I, I ran the, I was the training coordinator for the largest police department in Oklahoma. And I ran that for about nine years. Um, and it was something I always stressed with, with our recruits was, uh, to put yourself mentally, just sitting in, whether you're sitting in the dark or whatever, laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep and put yourself in the very worst position you could possibly think of. You walk in and this happens. How do you respond? Absolutely. Because if I've, if I've responded previously, I'm, I'm not nearly as likely to go into the freeze portion of fight, flight, or freeze when I, when I hit it for real. That's right. Um, Very well said. It's just one of those that is preparation is everything. It, and we have to cover every single aspect of it. Uh, so I love that you guys are, are going towards the, uh, the, the mental preparation as well. So that it all goes together, right? We, we, those things that can't be separated. You know what? One of the things that, that the science is showing that we can do is we can decrease the amplitude and we can scale training larger or smaller. So we can increase the amplitude and we can increase and decrease the scale. So I'm 52 years old. I think I spend about 15 to 20 hours on the mat right now still. Um, and when I roll, I usually have most of the time, three quarters, three quarters of the time I have a, a training gun on when I do. There are reasons for that, but the point I'm trying to make is now, especially at my age, out with my training partners, I'm like, listen, I just got a map here. Like I'm just, I just have to work really super light. So at least I'm getting some feel, but it's important that my body is recovering right now and my mind too, but I still want to get my touches, right? I still want to get the reps without the reps at the same time. So that way I can be, you know, and I'm encouraging others too, right? That way we can be sustainable over a long period of time. And if I have an injury or I can't get on the mat, I'll go watch class or I'll do the mental training that what Rob was talking about. And that way we're always staying on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What else do you want to tell us about? Oh man, that's whole, holy open-ended questions. You must be a lawyer. You must be a lawyer or something. Just open the door. <laughs> I, I want to talk about, Here's, here's what I'd like to talk about. I'll speak from the heart. I'm going to ask that the firearms training community opens their mind. 
I'm going to ask that they steer away from training with a trainer just because they happen to be an online celebrity or that they happen to be status. I like to call it evidence over eminence. I'd like to challenge the firearms training community to challenge their own ideas and to challenge their own thesis and to take a look at what are the realities of violence what are the real patterns of violence what does the data actually tell us how does it actually work and to seek out training that is representative in its design of how violence actually occurs the use of a firearm in reality for regular people in self-defense is far less prevalent than other forms of self-defense Right. And so we want to make sure that we're having that full spectrum of training and be careful with what organiz training organizations and instructors are calling things. I like to call for semantic accuracy. I like to call for intellectual honesty. If an organization is called this, think critically and ask yourself, is that what they're really doing? Or is it just what they're saying they're doing? When they're teaching you something, they're using buzzwords, write them down and find out, is that what they're actually doing? Or is it just what they're calling it? Because words matter, right? As attorneys, you can understand that. Words, right, become beliefs and beliefs become paradigms. And so if we, my, my, I'm asking for the industry to challenge its own thinking and to open its thinking up and to become more semantically and intellectually honest. As an instructor, as a student, if you have limitations of things that you don't know, things that you don't have skills in, say, this is the portion of the training that I'm covering, but know that it's not enough. Mm -hmm. There are very few places out there that actually teach a full integrated approach. Don't imply that you're teaching an integrated approach when you're not. I saw a meme from a very popular up and coming organization the other day that said, we train hard so we fight easy. And I said, to myself, you don't fight at all. You know, the analogy that we use is the difference between figure skating and hockey. To us, generic marksmanship is figure skating, right? And hockey is the equivalent of being a fighter with a gun. There's overlap, but let's, but let's be careful that we're not, you know, what's the word? We're not conflating one thing for another because people who don't know any better will believe that they're playing hockey and they'll try to do a triple toe loop in the middle of a hockey game. And that's probably not going to work out very well for them. He obviously lives in Minnesota. He, he, he... <laughs> did you get any of that uh, lake effect snow on you? What's that? Did you get any of that heavy snow this week? Oh yeah. I've got snow on the ground right now. Oh yeah supposed to warm up though this week don't don't yeah to 30 don't you know yeah oh oof <laughs> die oof die you know you know what's up you know what's up northwoods up here <laughs> <laughs> um so it, that's what i want to talk about on I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna kind of kind of pile on to that too um as a law enforcement trainer for decades um, you talk about a group of, of people, and I'm going to really target this at command structures. 
that are so averse to change. Hmm. Um, I got, I got really blessed with a horrible situation. We had a couple officers, uh, in our agency that were involved in a use of force. And it was not really long after Rodney King, um, it involved, uh, expandable batons. It looked horrible. And the media had full video of the thing and, and it just, it was just ugly. But the bonus was our director of training said, <laughs> he calls me up to help look at this as, as subject matter expert and says, <clears throat> I, need to, I need to know the answer to, to two things. I want to know why the stuff you guys teach doesn't work. And I want to know what these guys did wrong. It's my very first interaction with the director of training. And it was like, oh my gosh. Is that all? Yeah. And uh, so we go in and we look at it and he says, okay. How come the stuff you teach doesn't work? And I said, because you've handcuffed us. Um, I have, I have to stick by your curriculum and all I can do right. is, is that. And the stuff that you have given me will only prepare these people for average size, average strength and zero skill. That's right. They, they won't, they won't handle anything outside of that. The guy that we're talking about in this video is enormous. He's a hundred pounds plus more than the officers. And very apparently remarkably stronger. And, determined. And, and determined. Yes. And, and it just looks horrible. And he goes, okay, was there anything they did wrong? And I said, absolutely. And most people think they got what it takes to do this. Far more people can discharge a firearm That's right. than they can use really incredible force against a human. It's not in our nature. It can be in everybody's nature when, once yep. you're backed into that corner, but don't expect that to be the magic cure that it, because usually you collapse under that kind of pressure. Um, and these guys are, are using batons, but it goes against what's in good people to sure. take a metal pipe and hit somebody as hard as you can. And when I teach you to use a, a stick, my intent when I swing it is if I'm, if I'm striking you in the arm, my intent is to break your arm. Um, my intent is to break a bone, my intent, because I want to end this right now. I want, I want to, to gain control and finish. Yeah. Um, it's not about injuring. It's not about anything else. It's about control. And that opened the door wide open. And he said, all I ask is that you bring 
whatever changes you want to me. Wow. And the only thing that we were never allowed to do was bring any, any kind of neck restraint. Um, and that's because they, the, they had had a, a death in the city jail caused by a jailer and the city attorneys just fought that 100%. Yeah. yeah. And when done properly, it's a really, really safe technique. I've done it thousands of times. I've never caused an injury once. Um, so that was, that was well, so, so think about this, Rob, uh, there might be a case where your officer's rolling around on the ground and he knows he can't do that when that might be what he has to do to subdue it. That again, now he's got to go something else. That's right. He's got to go to something higher than what he can yeah. actually do. Right. So well, it actually creates a higher level of force. Well, for us, it, it was, it wasn't absolutely forbidden, but you had to be at lethal force. So uh, I actually did it in a fight. Uh, a partner of mine and I were, were really involved. And that was the only thing that would work for me. And I, I can articulate my ability to, to put that into place because he's trying to pull my partner's gun out of his holster. You know, my partner, the right. most one, Rob, yeah. he's, yeah. he's trying to get my yeah. gun, trying to get my gun easy enough. And I still had blowback from command saying, you can't yeah. do that. And I said, trust me on this, run it up the chain. I can do that. Absolutely. I can do this. And the, I, the other I, choice was shooting the guy in the side of the head. That's, that's where I went with it. And I said, yeah. I, I need you to do this for me. Um, you let me know if you, if you're, preference is for me to never ever do this again and i won't but next time i'm going to hit him in the head with a 45 i'm going to shoot him dead because that's where we were at that was the only other option right then everything right. we had done over and over as you can right. see in the report it's well documented everything is articulated it failed it did not work they think it's magic. It's just supposed to work every time that the attributes and circumstances are always going to be the same. Like it's just this vacuum where everything just magically well, and works. Then, and then you add these guys cracked out of their head on whatever they've smoked drain cleaner that they're smoking these days, you know, um, right. they don't feel anything and they could be operating with severe injuries and still going a hundred percent. They can be operating with lethal injuries. Hey guys, do you, right. mind if, do you mind if I read something to you that I think kind of speaks to this? This, uh, inst this institutional inertia that we're talking as about. As long as you do it theatrically. Okay. I'll do the best <laughs> that I can. Um, so, you know, you guys know I have a background in psychology, and this is a cognitive bias known as system justification bias, also known as status quo bias. So listen this out. Let's check this out. System justification bias is the tendency to defend and bolster the status quo. Existing social, economic, and political arrangements tend to be preferred and alternatives disparaged, sometimes even at the expense of individual and collective self-interest. Mm -hmm. So even if people know what you're teaching and what you're talking about is superior to what already exists, they will still disparage it 
so that they can uphold the status quo. Yeah, very true. That, that is deeply, deeply entrenched in the Second Amendment community. Um, just to give you an example. It's uh, sacrilege to say anything other than the status quo. Ask me, yeah. ask me, how, ask me how I know. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and uh, you know, so so I, I like long range shooting and I like to I like to create things, um, meaning cartridges. So we do wildcatting and, you know, kind of dreaming. What if this could do this? Oh, how do we design that? And, and I like that. And some of the blowback you get is why, you know, you can do it with a 308. It's like, well, that's. Yeah. That, you know, this, this is better. This does have more options. This yeah. can do this. Why you don't need that. It's like, well, I didn't ask you that question. Exactly. We're creating something different. Exactly. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to innovate. Let's challenge the, the fringes of the status quo. Why not? You know, there's this really weird thing that people get insecure when their axioms are challenged. And I say, Hey, challenge my axioms. I want to challenge yeah. my own axioms. Is it okay if I challenge yours? You know, this, you know, is, the, uh, this is the idea, right? And, and socially, I mean, we also call that like crab pot socialism, right? Big time. Where yep. it, so you've got the crabs, you don't need a lid on it because one crab keeps pulling the other crab from coming out of the pot and, you know, makes it easy for the fisherman. Uh, he doesn't have to control everything. They control themselves, pulling each other back down on top of themselves. That's right. You know, getting back to what Rob was talking about, I'll, for now, I think a, a law enforcement to me is the best example of it right now. But I think it spills over into self-defense for um, non-law enforcement as well, is the fact that society as a whole, I believe, needs to start having a more realistic expectation of human performance under extreme stress, in compressed time, under horrible circumstances. We've really been trained by the media that everything should look perfect at all times and that execution should always be perfect. And that's just not going to be, that's just not reality. And I think that it's unfortunate that law enforcement, well, by the way, I'm, I'm fairly critical of law enforcement training, but because I care, you know, that law enforcement is one of the few professions where you can actually go to prison for doing your job the correct way. I don't think that people understand that. You know, so we have to offer support and training, but we also have to have a realistic expectation for even the most well-trained with all the best attributes in the world, you know, perfection. If, if everyone was in, if everyone in law enforcement was a Navy SEAL, that's another conversation, but you know, you're still, it's still an environment where perfection under those extreme circumstances is going to be extremely rare. And there are, you know, forces out there that want to jump on every flaw and turn it into this thing that it's actually not. And so mm -hmm. it's important. It's one of the things that I want to get at with why I'm so excited to work and have, I'm, I'm a member, by the way, why I'm, I'm, I like to work, I call it working with you. I think of you guys as my team because I know I don't have to educate my, my defend, my defender because yep. my knowledge and skill and experience is going to be far exceed his or hers. Now I have a team of people who understand the feel and flow. They understand the force science. They understand use of force. Cause so now I can go, okay, I can articulate myself fully and know that my defense is going to understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
And to me, like in the communities that I run in, like, that's why I'm pushing you guys so much out there. It's like, guys, you understand these places that you have insurance with, they can't track what you're doing. They can't track what your decisions making decision-making was or what your statement is actually saying. You need to rethink this and take a look at CCW safe because these guys go hands-on. These guys have that background and they are a premier, you know, I, I call you guys like similar to IDS. You're a, like a premier boutique that actually cares and gets into every detail and they understand things with a depth and breadth that others in the industry don't. I, I wish, and there'll come a day, but it's going to be, years down the road, there'll come a day when people will be able to hear from this most recent member that we we went out with. Um, that's all he kept talking about is you guys are here. I can't believe I can't I can't believe right. what you've done. I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe I can't believe I talked to Don West. I can't believe this is mm-hmm. you know the the care I and I feel so at peace now knowing yes. that it's not just you're there to pay for this you're there to help you're you're there you understand right. what i feel um that's a big deal that's that's a big deal uh, and, and and think about that that gentleman in that situation what if he had somebody else who just said okay fine here's a check good luck right He's, he's, he's got to fight his way out of a out sure. of every situation. There are absolutely programs out there that that's exactly what they yeah. do. Um, yeah. And then you get you get somebody that uh, well, Stephen Maddox. You know, Stephen was was charged with murder, and we're the only ones in the industry that have defended somebody on a charge like that. And he was he was exonerated. He was acquitted but at a great cost to him personally. Um, And he speaks very openly, very freely about all of this, but he also speaks about the the services that he received for this. Um, And he, he says explicitly, you could have given me $1 million and said, here, go, go fund your defense. And And he'd be in jail. He would not have had a clue how to get going. Not a clue. Um, so to, to be able to have people that have those kinds of connections nationwide, um, you know, we've got competitors that want to say, you know, we've got, got these kind of guys on retainer and blah, blah. it costs money to keep people on retainer. And <clears throat> if I've got Phil as my attorney and well, I'm you're sorry. in trouble there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was involved in a really big case when I'm involved in my incident. Guess what? Phil doesn't have time to break away and come help me. Yeah. And if and if Phil says he does, he's probably sending a junior guy from the from the firm to come in and do do the ground. That I, I didn't pay for the for the junior guy. Right. I need the best. I need the guy that is the guy. Um, it it's just it's such a big deal to have that kind of uh, support support and network. And, you know, and we've talked about it on the show multiple times. Uh, I think, I think though, Rob, sometimes it's like people don't, you know, I've been around CCW safe for a while now. 
people don't realize it off the bat that it's not a sales pitch. This is where you guys live. This is what you guys do. And after going back to Oklahoma and meeting the whole team there, it's like, this is, this is a dedicated group. They're serious and they are professional. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a gimmick. These guys actually, I don't know how many miles you have on your air airplane miles this year, but they go to the locations. They do their own reports. I mean, Rob is a seasoned investigator. He's finding out some, I mean, sometimes you guys actually are finding more evidence and giving it to the departments, right? I mean, some of that, sometimes that stuff happens. And, Absolutely. And, and to have that on your side for the cost of a membership is really priceless. Well, you know, just the, the, the amount of stress, like I, if I'm, if I'm putting myself in that situation and I pray to God, I never am. Right. But if I were ever to be in that situation, the level of, of mental strain and stress that that would take off of me, the toll that that would take, knowing how it's going to affect my wife, knowing how it's going to affect my business, you know, all of the what ifs and the worst case scenarios that play through your head, knowing that you have a team that's that dedicated, who really gets it, man, that you, who, gets it, you yes. who really gets it on the level that, you know, we're discussing today and far beyond, right? To me, it, like there's no amount, like charge me 10,000 a month. You know what I mean? There's no amount of money that would, could replace that. That, that's just means everything. Well, it, it, it's a very complex thing. Um, you know, most, most criminal defense attorneys are, are going to sit here and tell you that 98% plus of their members are guilty. We're going to try to blow some kind of hole in the police's investigation to reduce this or eliminate the charge or whatever. But they know that I'm working for a guy that's that's full of crap and and he's he's not a good guy or he just made a really bad mistake today. Um, that's not at all what we're doing. We're we're covering everything. Salt of the earth people. These are these are such yeah. good people that find themselves and and it's rare. I mean, we don't we don't have a, a shooting every week, but but when we do, uh it's the first time those people ever realize how widespread that thing goes. And it just, it's one of those things that, you know, your, your family is involved. The other person's family is involved and it just goes out from there and there and there. I mean, it just gets. Yeah. Especially so in these days, you know, with the world that we're living in, I'm not a person who holds back and I'm not a politically correct person because if I do that, then I won't talk about things that are important that we need to discuss. So if the audience can bear with me here, I don't think our, your audience is going to have a problem with this, but we're living in a world where we're experiencing political railroading in, in self-defense cases. And that adds a whole nother element to it where there are people who are absolutely justified to any objective mind at all who are still going through hell because they're being politically railroaded so it's even more important in this day and age that you're going to have a team that is fair and objective and that is going to fight for you when the whole world is now is fighting against you well you know it, it's another part of 
our service that a lot of people don't. We do so many things beyond what is written in our terms. And it's because every time we publish something else, everybody else wants to rewrite their terms and go, oh, we do that too. Right. Um, yeah. All the time. And we're, we're getting ready to, to do that um, on a large scale. And it's just going to blow our computers' minds. I mean, they're just going to just like, you can't do that. Yes, we can. Um, you don't want to be, and as a consumer, you don't just want to go with somebody that's, oh, these guys are the biggest. You want to make sure that you yeah. they have the coverage, you know, or this celebrity's over here, this celebrity's over here. Well, you know what? Um, there was a lot of celebrities pushing FTX. If I remember correctly, <laughs> a lot of celebrities pushing out. a lot of things, right? Yeah, they, they pushed a lot of politicians. They pushed FTX, so you know, yeah. Read the fine print; it's a big deal. Well, yeah. and you know, Gary, my my partner, always tells people that you know, guys, there's a lot of good companies out there that do exactly what they say. Read the fine print. That's because they're going to do exactly exactly what they say. Um. So yeah, if you take a plea agreement or you're found guilty or anything else like that, if they are truly a, an insurance, which most of them are, um, it is against the law to insure a criminal act. And for that purpose, they have what's called a clawback or a recoupment clause. And so they've They've gone to trial and they've done this, this, and this. And then, oh, by the way, you lost. Mm. I, need wow. you, I need you to pay that back, guys. I'm wow. sorry. Pay that back. That's a big deal. He's a little salt wow. in the wound. Yeah. Big time. So that's adding another wound. Oh, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Um, and that to me, it it's the it's the greatest scam ever. Uh yeah, we're going to take yeah. care of Yeah, so what's their motivation? It's a built-in conflict of interest, right? Yeah. It's a win-win for them. You you have a bias to to deny. And so if you don't have to cover them, you're not going to cover them. Um, it, it's just crazy. Wow. So, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly honored to to work for an organization that's like this, but even more so, uh, our entire ownership group are personal friends of mine. Uh, I was a member before I was an employee. And when that opportunity came for me, I immediately pulled the plug in law enforcement and jumped. Um, I've never worked for a better organization ever it it is just it, it's just absolutely cream of the crop it the, the guys that that are that are driving this ship are so forward thinking and when, when these new terms come out it's going to be so exciting because people are going to go they do that yeah, wow. yeah they do. i can't wait to hear about that yeah it's going to be really cool it's exciting phil you got uh Big plans, everybody coming to your place. What's going on? 
We are, we are hosting. So, um, like I said, I think we have about a third of the people that are showing up at yours, but, uh, <laughs> it's still a big money. We got 17 people coming. So, that's yeah, awesome. that's, which is big for most people, but, but you know, all of a sudden I'm feeling like I'm underperforming. You got 45. <laughs> Rob's getting everybody feeling insecure. Well, we've, we've got, <laughs> uh, we got four generations worth. So, wow. It's, it's, uh, it's stacked deep. You got half of Oklahoma at your house. We've, we've, we've got a good group for sure. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, it's a big time of year for us. It, it's something that everybody looks forward to. Um, my daughter's already been texting me this morning. Hey, daddy, are you bringing this? Are you bringing this? Are you bringing this? Yep. Yeah, I got it. I got it. So, awesome. Good times. Yeah. Lots and, to be and, thankful for. Yeah, for sure. And, and on top of that, uh, everybody is a cook in my family. It's, there's there's lots of places I can I can walk in and I can own a room in in the kitchen, and I can't do that at my mama's house. <laughs> I can't do that. I'll bring a lot of stuff, but that's a good thing, dude. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they're they're it it's an incredible feast. So yeah, it, but like you said, we have so much to be thankful for, and uh, just just a great time for our family and, and uh, also for the CCWSA family. And we thank everybody and uh, any takeaways for us, Phil, any parting words? No, I think this is a, well, I say no, and then I have parting words. So there's no contradictions. Uh, The psychologist on the, on the air here is going to have fun with that one. Um, I think it is important that, and I'm finding this for myself personally, that the kind of the next evolution in my training, because it hasn't been integrated from the start, is is the retention side. Um, I'm, I'm actually doing active things in January. I've got two sessions, a couple of day sessions that I'm doing in January. Focus on that because I don't have a law enforcement background. I've never trained gun retention. I've never wrestled with a, a gun on my hip before. I don't want to have to in real life, but... Um, yeah, I'm putting myself through through two sessions in January just to bring myself up where I need to be. It's a good start. Bro. Because I wasn't integrated from the beginning. <laughs> there are case reports that suggest that 31% of violent encounters end up on the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 60% of those are by accident. 40% are intentional. So that's important that's having that stuff is important. And again, bear with me here, but I'd like to put forward for your consideration to have that be ongoing practice because the retention um, for that, for that experience that you're going to have will start to leave you within about an hour after you've completed the training. Well, I'm not even going to go then. (laughs) <laughs> so stay with it there's this guy on 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 the show with us today his name is rob i bet you he would be willing to touch hands with you on on a yeah, regular he, basis he'll, he'll ragdoll me i don't know if i want that today <laughs> i think you know a few people that can help you out with that i bet nice. i bet we how about how about you todd you got anything takeaways any anything for people to keep keep in their minds yeah um for those of you out there who feel as though you have it in your DNA to be protective over the flock, 
Um, I want you to know that there are people out there like the two gentlemen that I'm on the air with today and myself who support you. And uh, we're, that we're living in a world that wants to shame you and blame you um, for being a good person who has the ability to use force appropriately, that somehow that's a bad thing, that you're an evil person because of that. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, so be bold with who you are. Seek out like-minded people who can train you and lead you and guide you in the, in a, in the right way and share it with others because there are other people out there, you know, that are in the closet, so to speak, that are afraid to step out because they too have it in them to watch over the flock. Violent crime is going, is going parabolic right now. Where I'm at Minneapolis in the last 18 months alone, just in carjackings are up 640%. It's all over the place. And so it's, this is the time, this is the time for us to be proactive about the cultivation of our skills and to be bold in the sharing of our beliefs. And in this way, we give other people permission to do the same thing. And this only leads to a better and safer world. Jesus himself said, after I'm gone, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. That wasn't a suggestion, that was a command, okay? And so I, that's something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. And we wanna use force at the very, at the very last, right, as our very last option. But when we do, we wanna make sure we know how to use the appropriate level of force. And we wanna make sure that we have the options to meet the full spectrum of force so that we're responding in a way that is decisive and confident and with skill and with measure. And that's gonna require ongoing practice and training, not intermittent, not one or two or three days a year or the occasional weekend getaway. This is something that needs to be ongoing. And so um, I strongly encourage you to take that approach um, toward this lifestyle, this way of life. And if the services that I provide at idscitizendefender.com can be supportive of that, great. If you can find someone else who can be supportive of that, great. There is, uh, there's, there's a means to, to keep that where you can stay active and, and stay uh, tuned up. And, and one of those is to, f to find a buddy to train with. So right. if I've got somebody that can go take this class with me, um, even if we can't find anything close to make it a, a regular thing, at least I got somebody I can train with. That's right. Um, and now you've got online opportunities with, with people like Todd. There's something else that we've touched on before, and I think it's very important that you vet your instructors. Um, and I don't, I don't have any reservation to recommending guys that are from the, the private sector, the military sector, the law enforcement sector, um, you're going to get incredible nuggets from every single facet of those, those communities. Um, but understand there are lots of guys out there that have put in the work and done things in the past that have become comfortable and stagnant in their development. Um, that may not apply to you. <laughs> so I would, 
I would like to encourage you to find people uh, that come highly recommended, not by idol worshipers, but by uh, by guys that can go, hey, uh, I went through Todd's class. Uh, I went through so-and-so's class. Vet that instructor and go, are you still are you still learning? Are you still seeking out uh, education for yourself? Where's the last place you trained at? What are you, what are you doing to improve your stuff? Um, because this stuff is, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's something that you should get better at. Um, we, we shouldn't diminish. We shouldn't take steps back. So it's a really big deal. Um, Todd, thank you so much, brother, for, for hopping in and, and joining us today. Um, and thank- I've been on a lot of podcasts, you guys, and I, I'm not just saying this is a huge honor for me to be on this show. I'm a big admirer of your work and of your organization. So really, thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on and, and letting me open up and share a little bit about things that I'm, I'm passionate about. Absolutely. It's a big deal for us too, buddy. Phil, you guys have a, a wonderful holiday. And you too, uh, boss. If you need anything, you, you reach out and holler at me and I should be around for the rest of the week, at least barring an emergency call. <laughs> anyway, we, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And uh, so long for now. <laughs>